We are in uh, Psalm 1 this morning, sort of a little excursus from our uh, journey through Romans, and we are in Romans chapter 12. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, verse 2, where it says that God renews our minds. So we're not to be conformed to the world, but to be renewed in our thinking, in our minds. And uh, we spend an extra week on that, and here's a third week, and I'm jumping us into the Psalms, and let me try to connect that for us here in a few minutes. But hear then the word of God from Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree that is planted by streams of water, that yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. And therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to be gathered as your people. We have gathered to you. Father, we come to sit at your feet and to learn of you. We long for you to speak your truth into our hearts and into our lives with power that you would indeed accomplish that work that you describe of of unconforming us from the world, that we may be renewed in our minds and conformed to Christ. Pray that even now, in and through your word, you would advance this work in our hearts and our minds, that you would capture our imagination with the truth of your word, and that we would go home and live differently because of what you have said to us today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know if you have this picture in your mind's eye of this tree. I have, ever since I've known this psalm, this has always been one of my favorite. I love this image. Um, I love it when I see it in reality. And I love it when I picture what he is saying here, this tree, that there's this flowing stream, a babbling brook. And there's a a tree next to it rooted down right next to the stream, and it says because he's by the stream, that tree, its leaf is always green, it's strong, it's healthy, it's a fruit tree, it's got fruit going on in the right season, it's, it prospers because of its location, 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 right? The tree is by the stream of water, and this is a picture of you and me. It's meant to be a picture of God's people. And so it's a picture that should evoke something in us. Now, how do we get here? We, we've been over the last few weeks, well, we finally arrived in the past few months, years. We finally arrived in Romans 12 after 11 chapters of doctrine. And we saw that 12 started with a couple of um, uh, applications coming out of it, some commands uh, coming out of those chapters. And the first thing that, that Romans 12 tells us, that the only reasonable spiritual response to all that God has said and all that God has done is to give ourselves to God. Before we do one thing for God, is to give ourselves to God, to offer ourselves, it says, as a living sacrifice. That is to yield ourselves, fully to yield ourselves to live for, for God. A sacrifice that goes on living. 
for him, to him. It's our reasonable spiritual response. And then in verse 2, he goes on to describe a little of what that looks like. And he says it looks like not being conformed to the world to stop looking like what's going on out there, the thinking that's going on out there, the attitudes that are out there. It looks like not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the means of this transformation, the renewing of our minds. The ongoing inner, he goes on, he's describing sanctification. Right? The ongoing inner transformation of heart and mind out of the likeness of the world and into the likeness of Jesus. He describes sanctification by the renewing of the mind. And so the $10 million question, which brings us to Psalm chapter 1, is how does the inner transformation of the heart and the mind take place? How does this happen? It is the process of sanctification. It's the goal that he's after to deliver us from the world and to conform us to his son. And how does the the renewing of our mind take place? And that brings us to Psalm 1. And my point this morning in Psalm 1 is simply this. You want to get to the takeaway is this. The central way of inner transformation of our heart and minds takes place as we are habitually rooted like a tree in God's word. Because that becomes the central way in which we are rooted in Christ and filled with his spirit. Right? As we are habitually rooted in God's word, we are rooted in Christ and filled with his spirit. So we have the picture of this beautiful tree rooted by this stream. It's an endless source of water. And it's this endless source of water. The tree is constantly drawing life and health and strength from the stream and from the source of life that is given to it. This is meant to ignite in you and I a desire. When you read this psalm, you come away with two pictures, and there's one that should ignite a desire that I want to be like that picture and not like that picture. All right? I, I want my life to be like this tree. So if I imagine my life as this tree, I want my tree to be the leaf to be green, for the tree to be healthy, for me to be bearing fruit in my life, that, that the life of this tree is prospering, it's lush, and it's alive. It's the way God designed it. There's a beauty to it. There's a strength to it. It delights the eye. It gives pleasing fruit out of it so that others might also benefit. There's this beautiful picture. Do, you want, do we want our lives to look like this? But he starts with a negative picture. That's not the first picture he gives us. He starts with a negative picture in verse 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed simply means a simple way to uh, translate that might be happy, satisfied, shalomed man. The blessed person, the blessed and happy person is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. They do not stand in the way of sinners. They do not sit in the seat of mockers. The happy person is someone who is essentially not conformed to the world, right? That's how Romans 12 puts it, to not be conformed to the world, to not walk in the counsel of the world or stand in the way of sinners or to sit in the seat of mockers. Not conformed to the thinking of the world, not following the ways of the world, not adopted to the world's Attitudes. That's what he's describing in verse 1. 
And there appears to be something of a progression. You got the walking, to the standing, to the sitting. Many of us see a progression there in terms of walking that we start when we hear that tune out there in the world or whatever it is, and we, we follow it. We, we begin to walk in the way of the world, but the more that we listen to the world and its counsel, um, we find ourselves standing and remaining in it, beginning to adopt those points of views and attitudes and, and lifestyle, and before long we are sitting, and that's a more rooted, I'm not going anywhere soon. Right? Sitting, but sitting in the seat of scoffer that we actually have placed ourselves and become in a situation where we're at odds with God and his word. Right? And that's the difference in this text. Those who are rooted in the word of God and those who have conformed to the counsel of the world and are at odds with God and his word. And so in verses 4 and 5, we're given a different picture. The, the wicked are not so. They're not like a tree like this. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Right? They're like chaff. This is the, the, the wicked. That are, the wind drives away. There's a picture here. They used to do a thing that called winnowing. I don't think we, we do it quite this way anymore. We're all mechanized. But back in the day when you harvested a crop of like wheat and you had uh, you know, all the wheat grains and stuff in a pile and you had to sort the, the kernel, the husk, the, 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 the kernel from the husk, the grain from its outer shell that had no life and no purpose and wasn't good to eat and tasteless. And so they would do it on a windy day. They would use some kind of a fork to, to pick up the pile and they'd throw it in the air. And all of the, the grain has weight and it's what you want, drops back down to the ground. But the wind, the chaff, the dry, useless, weightless husks, the wind drives it away and blows it away. And they would just keep throwing it in the air and it would just keep sifting, winnowing the wheat. Then the grains would fall and the chaff would blow off into the wind and be lost in the world. It was useless and it was good for nothing. Sort of like salt that's lost its saltiness. But chaff has no weight. It has no roots. It has no stability. The wind drives it away. Which is why in verse 5 it says, and therefore the wicked will not stand on the day of judgment. Because it stands in the way of sinners, it will not stand on the day of judgment. No, it will be blown, they will be blown away, he says. Which brings us back around to the positive picture, the opposite of this chaff life existence, this weightless existence, it won't stand in the judgment is this beautiful picture, again, that is the opposite of the one who's thinking like the world and living in the world, standing in the world, but not standing in the judgment, is verse 2, this person who delights. What do you delight in? It's a great word. What do we delight in? Where is your delight? I mean, and that's a great, I mean, that's a rich word. I mean, delight. You love it and enjoy it and are satisfied in it. Well, the happy person, the blessed person is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. That is the word of God. And on this word, he meditates day and night. There's a rhythm to it. There's a person who's delighting and meditating in the word of God and the one who's listening to God. He's not tossed to and fro like the wind in the waves, or like chaff in the wind, but rather he's like a tree. Now, you can't get more opposite. I, I would think, you know, he said, you, you know, the picture here is you're not like the chaff that's blown away. You're like that kernel of wheat. 
But that's not strong enough. The kernel of wheat has some weight, but he says, no, you're not like chaff. You're like a tree. Like how far different from the chaff that blows away in the wind than a tree whose roots go down and in the storms and however it goes, nothing moves the tree. Uh, you know, it takes a tornado to uproot a tree. And he says, you're like a tree who's got deep roots and you're not just any old where and any old tree. You're not a scrub tree in the wilderness, right? If you think of Israel, Surrounded by a lot of desert and wilderness or scrub, things are just scrub because there's no water to make things big and strong and fruitful. But he says, you're like a tree that is sitting by an endless source of life. You're like a tree that is tapped into a river of living water. And your, your, your leaf is always green because the water is always there. And you bear fruit in season. There's a rhythm in a, of, to your life and to your health. The counsel of the world is a spiritual desert. And he really is contrasting these two. You know, Blessed is a person who does not listen to the counsel of the wicked. You're not listening to the voices out there who are telling us the way to go. Right? But the blessed one who is the one who is delighting, meditating, and rooted in the word of God. Who are we listening to? Who are we conforming to? Where, at whose feet are we sitting? Is it the seat of scoffers or at the feet of Jesus? The text, the text here, the passage, is asking us, which life do you want? Which life do you want? Do we want the life of the chaff, described so weightless and useless and is driven away in the wind, can't stand in the judgment because it's been standing with sinners and listening to the counsel of the world and of the wicked? Which life do we want? Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be chaff or do you want to be tree? That's the question in the text. Let's back up and talk about the streams of water because the thing that makes the difference between the two is that the tree is planted in the streams of water. Right? And the stream of water in the text is very clearly the Word of God, isn't it? Right? The one who loves the Word of God is like a tree planted by a stream. So the stream is the Word of God and the tree is the person who's tapped into it. Right? So the tree would be you and I and the stream is the word of God. And this is important as we think about being tapped into. We get the picture, the tree drawing life from the stream, tapped into the stream. But I'll say right up front, as we get this picture in our heads, okay, I need to read the Bible. Right? But I want to say right up front that it's important to understand that the Bible's not magic and just reading it doesn't necessarily bring life and health. I know a lot of people who read the Bible and then teach things contrary to it. And they live in no patterns to it. I went to a secular school and took classes where there were people teaching the Bible. Just reading it didn't do anything for them. In fact, they handled it in ways that were blasphemous. Just reading the Bible, it's not magic. It doesn't bring health and life because you read it. Not even believing every word that's in it. You can believe every word that's in it, and it doesn't automatically bring change. It's not that you've got then, you know, the idea of the different things, check, 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 believe those things, and automatically I'm changed. You've, you've been, if you've been a Christian for 10 minutes, you know that that doesn't happen. Jesus said this. Jesus 
When he was talking to the Pharisees, he said this was the problem. That's kind of the way they approached the Bible. In John chapter 5, 39 and 40, Jesus said, You search the Scriptures, you Pharisees, because you think that in them you have eternal life. They're reading them. They're studying them. They know, the, they know them. They're even, they're even obeying some of it on the surface, whitewashed tombs. Right? They, they search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But Jesus says, these are those that bear witness about me. The Bible's about me, you guys. Right? The Bible's about me. And yet, he says, here's where, they, here's where they failed. You refuse to come to me and have life. You refuse. You made the Bible an end in itself. So as a Christian, I get up and I read the Bible for 10 minutes, check. You know, that's what a Christian does. It's, you know, rhythm. I, I read the Bible and check, did that today. Check, did it today. Read and prayed for three people in my life. See, the Pharisees believed Psalm 1. I would say that's what they were trying to do. They believed, they had read Psalm 1. They know Psalm 1. And, and they believe Psalm 1, which is why they searched the Scriptures because in them they think they have eternal life. They're tapped into the stream by reading them and knowing them to some degree. And Jesus says, well, you made a good start on it, but you, f- you failed at the most crucial point in understanding that the, the scriptures are about me. And you can say more broadly, they're about God. And you failed to come to me. You failed to come to God himself in a worshipful, responsive relationship. And so they were useless in your life. They become just another religious formality. There's so much religious formality in the church, but it doesn't work. See, the point, as I said early on, is the central way that inner transformation of the mind and the heart takes place is by being habitually rooted like a tree in the Word of God because in and through the Word of God, we become, we can be rooted in Christ and filled with His Spirit. And that's where transformation takes place. It's through Christ and in the power and the presence of his spirit. See, Jesus says that the whole point of the Bible is to come to him. That's what he's telling the Pharisees. That's what he's telling us. The point of the Bible is to come to him. It's not an end in itself. It's a revelation of God. It's God speaking to us, telling us who he is, telling us what he loves, telling us what to do, telling us where to repent from, telling us what not to be like, and telling us what to be like, right? It is God interacting with us. It is the God who is not silent, but who speaks and talks to us. And so God here says if we don't use it as an an end in itself, we actually can discover the God of the Bible and to know him and to love him and to worship him and to interact with him in and through his word. He says the point of the Bible is to come to him that we may have life in him, not in the Bible, and to come not once, but as we see in verse 2, he says his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night, right? And there's a rhythm there, day and night. That happens every day, day and night, day and night. Then you have a week, and then you have a month to meditate on his word. This is the key to drawing life and health and fruitfulness from the word of God is finding and fellowshipping with the God of the word. That it is is when we spend time with God in his word. 
And so he says in verse 2 that we are to meditate day and night in this thing. In biblical meditation, there's a lot of confusion about it sometimes because there are other kinds of meditation, and we're always a little afraid of, you know, if the yoga does it have, what kind of meditation is that? Is there, you know, is it, is it Eastern meditation, some other religion? And there's, so there's, there's meditation that we should not participate in, but there is meditation that we can and should. The Bible talks about it a great deal. So biblical meditation, I'm going to give you just a few ways that I've begun to think about it when I think about my own life and how these rhythms take place. And it's something like this. It's as simple as this. One definition of biblical meditation is this, spending time with God in his word. Spending time with God in his word. But if you're in his word and that's a part of it, and you're, and you're spending time with God. You're listening to him, you're hearing him, and you're responding to him. If there's something I need to repent of, there's something, ways I need to respond and worship, there's ways I need to surrender and give myself to him, there are ways that I need to, you know, the list goes on, the ways that we interact with God through his word. As he speaks to us. So it is simply to spend time with God in his word, or another way to say it would be this, to read and to think about God's word in God's presence. Right? To think about God's word in God's presence. So again, you're not checking it off the list. If you do start your day and you're reading the Bible, it's not, okay, I read a chapter, check, and move on with my day. But did I, right, did I think about it in God's presence? Did I come to him in his word? Did I hear him speak to me? Did I speak back? Did I worship him in those moments? If you can spend time in the Bible, it should lead you to prayer. It should lead you to hungering for something. It should lead you to shame about something. It should lead you to some doing what, what the Puritans called heart work, uh, biz, doing business with God. The word is living and active, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and it, and it reveals us before the God with whom we have to do, the God who, who judges us and who knows us. And he doesn't just cut us open for the science of it, but for the transformation of our hearts and our minds. As his word opens us to him, meditation is prayerfully interacting with God about his word. Prayerfully interacting. Every time you read the Bible, you should meditate, meaning you should think about it in his presence. You should prayerfully interact with him about it. You should talk to him. You should be with him. Right? A quiet time isn't checking off Christian duties. Read the Bible for 10 minutes. Pray for 10 minutes. Right? It's about spending time with God so that our hearts and minds are changed. Jesus says the Bible is about him. Coming to him. Having life in him. The abundant life that's described in Psalm 1. And so when he says, come to me to have life, what does that life look like? Well, it's kind of like a tree planted by a stream of water that's planted in Christ. If we come to him and are planted in him, and Jesus says this in not so many words, but in these words, John 8, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, abide, remain, stay, dwell, maybe be rooted. You could, you could translate it as rooted. If you are rooted in my word, then you're my disciples. Then you're my disciples. 
Right? Then you know me. Then you can follow me. But it starts with this being rooted in his word. Then you're my disciples, and something is going to happen. You're going to know the truth. You're going you're to be renewed. You're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You will know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. It's going to change your life. It's going to make you more like Jesus if you abide in his word. And then interestingly, in John 15, where we get the whole vine and the branches, Jesus does the same thing, and he replaces his word with him. If you are rooted in me, if you abide in me, if you are rooted in me, then I'll be rooted in you, so to speak. We'll have a relationship. We'll be connected in a life-exchanging relationship, right? We'll be connected. Whoever is rooted in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He's like the tree in Psalm chapter 1, Right? He's like a tree. If you are rooted in him, if you are rooted in his word, for apart from me, you can do nothing. But rooted in me, like the tree, rooted in the stream, the stream is, is God's word, and Christ is God's word. And in other places it says the stream is his Holy Spirit. I believe that they're all, this is, God is the life-giving stream. Revealed in his word, met in and through his word, and pouring himself out into our lives as we are Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you're rooted in me, you'll bear the fruit that you so desire. His disciples, if you are rooted in my word, you are my disciples. The big if. Which life do you want? Right? Which picture do you want? My disciples are rooted in my word. They meditate on it day and night. They're like a tree. And those who are not rooted in the word end up following somebody's counsel. We're being discipled by the world every day, by every commercial you watch, every blog you read, every newspaper headline you read, by every conversation you have. We're all being discipled by the world every day. We're getting the counsel of the wicked Every time you turn around, every, sometimes it's on the billboard that you read, sometimes it's in a magazine that you open up, sometimes it's in the tweets that you're following, wherever it is, if it's not, in, if it's not rooted in the word of God, then it's going to be the counsel, Some, you're, you're following counsel every day. You're thinking like either the word of God or the world. And he says, when you're rooted in, in Jesus and in his word, in New Testament terms, you're like a tree tapped into a source of life and strength and health. And it is the transforming and the renewing of our minds according to the word of God. We think the, the thoughts of God after him. And we see him as he reveals himself to us. Rather than the Jesus of the culture. Right? We find Jesus, the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus. There's so many people in the world right now in the counsel of the wicked, they have a Jesus or often will talk, oh, well, my Jesus affirms and approves this. And my Jesus, you know, would never do that. He wouldn't send anyone to hell. And my Jesus would never be so mean as to disapprove of my behavior or my morals or my standards. And they have a Jesus, but it's the counsel of the wicked. It's not according to the word of God. There's a biblical Jesus to whom we must be conformed. And all thoughts that don't conform to him, are conforming to something else. So I said being rooted in God's word is the central means by which we are rooted in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Because this is a command, and many of us struggle to understand how to fulfill that command. 
The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit, right? It's Ephesians 5. It's a command. It comes as an imperative. It's not an indicative. You know, you can be filled with the Spirit. Or It says, be filled. How do we, the, the Spirit is the Lord. He's God. I don't, tell, I don't tell him what to do. You don't tell him what to do. How are we going to be filled with the Spirit and obey this command? For me, the short answer is, is to plant yourself by the stream. The abundant flowing rivers of the, the Spirit and the life and the power and the grace of God revealed in His Word and in His Son. It comes to us as we're planted in the right place, as we spend time. So it comes down to spending time with Him in His Word. You get the Spirit of Christ when you spend time with Christ, when we're with Christ, when we know Him and love Him and worship Him, when we're having this interaction, not a static thing, but a real walk with Him and relationship with Him in His Word. And as we are, we are filled with His Spirit. Jesus says this in John 14, 23. Some of these verses, if nothing else, they should really intrigue you. He's like, how do I make this happen? Right? Because this is what I want. Jesus says, if you love me. Right? Elsewhere, Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. Like, my word. You know my word. You love my word. You delight in it. And you obey it. You're living it. You're conformed to it. The one who loves me, Jesus told his disciples, and his disciples are the one, he said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples. And he, so Jesus tells his disciples, he's rooted, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. What you need to know in order to keep so many of you right now who don't know his word and aren't keeping it, and they think they're being faithful, but they're following the world and not the word. And my father, and this is what will happen. If you love me and you're, and you're rooted in my word and keeping it, he says, my father is going to love you, and he's going to come, and I'm going to come. The father, the son, who you know are coming in the person of the spirit to make our home in him. And those who love Jesus... The Jesus of the Bible because they're rooted in and keeping his word. Those who love the Jesus of the Bible, he says that we will, that God himself is going to take up residence in your life, in your soul, right? This is when I, when I read and Paul prays in Ephesians and about being able to grasp the height, the depth, and length, and breadth of the love of God that is in all this, and then he gets to the end, and then you'll have the power with all the saints, and and then he says you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. What a sentence. Then you'll be filled with all the fullness, like a tree planted by the stream of water that is constantly filled with the fullness. And that fullness, Jesus promises right here, me and my Father, by the power of the Spirit, will come. All the fullness of God in your life, if you are rooted in me and in my word. Jesus said in John 6, uh, the words I've spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. The words I've spoken are spirit and they are life. And if you are rooted in them, in the God of the words, John 7, he says, whoever believes in me, As the scripture says, again, if you believe in the Jesus that the scripture reveals, if you believe in me as the scripture, not the Jesus you made up, not the Jesus that the world talks about, not the Jesus that doesn't do this and does do that, that's out of the scriptures, right? But if you believe in me according to the scriptures, then out of your heart is going to flow a river of water, living water. 
And he said this, if you read on, he says, now he said this about the Spirit, the the fullness of the Spirit. As we love him, as we are in his word and believing in him, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And as we're in the word of God and believing and knowing him and loving him and rooted in him, in this kind of a relationship, he says, there's the fullness of the Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit that we want, that we cannot command, is given to us. When we're rooted in Christ and his word, and we spend time with him, the spirit of Christ is given by Christ as we are with him. John Piper says it this way, the way to be filled with the spirit is to be filled with his word. The way to have the power of the spirit is to believe the promises of his word. Right, to, have, to let the word of God dwell in you richly, but not just as a bare word, not just as, a, as a, a set of information, but as his word, his word to your soul, him speaking to you, commanding you, calling you, promising to you, comforting you, encouraging you. It is his word. Acts chapter 4, 13, it says they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They perceived that these were uneducated men. And they were astonished. The boldness of the apostles and the the truth and the authority of their preaching and of the gospel. And, And it says that they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So the people looking on made the connection. Boldness and power in the Christian life and in the gospel and being with Jesus. They made the connection, and my question is, have we, have you, made the connection between being with Jesus and the power and the boldness and the grace that we are all hungering for in our Christian lives? Let me just say that 21st century American culture and lifestyle makes what I'm talking about almost impossible. It makes it almost impossible the world that we're living in. Because being rooted in Christ and in his word is a way of life. It's a lifestyle, right? It's a lifestyle over a lifetime. Being rooted in Christ and in his word and being with him and knowing him and loving him and worshiping him and, and, and responding to him in his word. As he says, meditating on his word night and day, night and day, day and night. And so many of us are simply crazy busy. There's a book that came out recently, and a lot of Christians are reading it. Our people in our church are reading it. Crazy busy. Because it's the world that we live in. We live in a world that's picking up speed. And that speed carries us along, sometimes like chaff in the wind. Too often we're like Martha when Jesus speaks to Martha and says, Martha, you're distracted by much. Right? And that's us. I mean, that could be the definition. Often you ask people, how are you guys, how are you doing today? Busy? I got this going on, I got this going on, I'm running here, I'm running there like a chicken with my head cut off. That's how I'm doing. Busy. Right? Busy. It's the answer. It's not even, it's not even an answer. It's a description. But this distracted, like, but Mary said, Mary chose what is better. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened. It's a very simple lesson. But I'm telling you, my friends, this is the key in some ways to life. To not be Martha in some sense and to be Mary that we are going to have a certain level of busyness, but there must be, where I'm arguing here, is there must be some margin 
Richard Foster said, superficiality is the curse of our age. And it afflicts the church. The church is more and more superficial in its understanding of, of doctrine and of God and of his word and of issues. And we don't think as deeply and we don't engage as Christianly as we should. We're very superficial. We have very rough ideas and we handle them pretty poorly most of the time, in my humble opinion. Superficial lives is a fruit of not being rooted. See, if you live your life at the speed of the culture, then we're going to be like chaff in the wind. But we need the rhythms of the Word of God. And so here's where I would argue with you. I make the same thing when I'm talking about stewardship of money. I argue that we need margin. You need to not have such a big house and house payment and such a nice car and car payment and such a use of your credit cards and such that you're maxed out and there's no margin. You got no money to be generous. You see a need, can't help you. I can't help myself, right? I'm just barely, you know, getting by and paycheck to paycheck. There's no room in there. And I would argue that you need to scale back some of those other luxuries so that it creates some margin in your life. You're not always living on the edge. You can pay your debts, maybe not even be in debt, and have money to give. Not only can I tithe, but I see that you have a need. I might even be able to help you, right? And that's what the scripture says. Don't just stop stealing, but actually work with your hands so that you have that which you can give. We need margin, but we need margin with our time. See, we're to steward all of God's goods gift. Time is another non-renewable resource. And it's one of those things that we're called to steward in a way that honors God and brings life. And you need margin. You know what margin is? And, you know, in any book, there's space on the side here where the words stop. And there's just empty space. And it circles the page. And margin, margin of time and space should circle your life and your soul. There should be space in there for God. There needs to be space in there. But it, it, this means change. I'm talking about changing your life. Right? I'm, I'm talking about not so you can't change your life and make yourself a better person. But you can order your life in such a way to be with the one person who can change you. Right? And so I can't, I can't change my own heart. So I need to be with the one who can in his word. If we abide in his word, if we abide in him, then these things begin to take fruit. We have to create margins so we can focus so that we can be with him. I cannot overestimate the importance of habit and rhythms. I have some people say, well, I don't have time to, you know, spend time, or I just am not disciplined, and so I can't create those margins and spend time. I'm like, do you shower every day? Well, if you shower every day, you got some discipline, you know. Do you go to work every day? Look at that. You pulled it off. You know, did you have dinner, you know, most days? Look at you. You're a rhythmic machine. You are, a, you are a creature of habit, right? Now what we need to do is change some of your bad habits into some good habits, right? We need, we need to, we need, and I am talking about life change because here, here's the truth for me. Most of my spiritual growth has happened in the margins, in the quiet spaces between the busyness, the spaces in my morning and in my evenings, in my lunchtimes, on my Saturday mornings and wherever it is, different seasons of life, it's gonna be different, but I can tell you, it is in, in reading the word and being in the word. You'll find if you go in my office right now, as I was even going through this, I'm like, there's a stack of note cards that's spilling over, and it's got quotes from books I've read, quotes from the Bible, quotes of, you know, because when I'm reading, I'm writing it down. Sometimes I carry it with me, and that's how I memorize some of the scripture, or I just pull it out, and it's something I want to remember and pray about, you know, in terms of how to be that kind of man. 
right? And if I, if, you know, when I wanted to be gentler and, you know, come to me, Jesus says, you know, be gentle and humble of heart, how am I going to do that? You know, I, I write that scripture down and a couple more and I carry it around. And when I'm sitting at a stoplight, instead of being annoyed, I'm reading it. Standing in line at the bank, wherever you're tended to be annoyed because there's a moment of margin. You know, I have, no, I have a box of note cards in my desk at home. It's stuff full through the years, just writing things out. I've got journals where I'm just trying, you know, writing out my prayers or writing out things that I, I want God to do that, you know, as I'm reading his word. Sometimes that's how I respond to him. Sometimes, you know, but it's this sometimes memorizing it, but praying it and repenting. You know, that the thing that I read there and I remember, you know, as I'm spending time, what, what my talk, conversation with my wife that I need to repent of. And it's in those moments of repenting. I don't want to be that man. I want to be your man. Forgive me and help me and fill me. And guess what? It's in the margin that you find the grace to be different. My friends, we're living too fast. We're entertained too much. And we've crowded out the very source of life. I just ask you, do you feel more like chaff in the wind? That's what I hear every time I ask somebody, how you doing? And they say, busy. I hear chaff in the wind. Because if that's how you're doing, then there's something wrong. Now, you might be busy, and in some ways, that's fine. I'm very busy, but you still got to have margins. How you're doing is I'm doing well in the midst of that. Thank you. Right? I know, and I love the Lord. I'm walking with him every day. Do you feel more like chaff or do you feel rooted with rivers of life welling up in your soul because you know him and you love him? The text is asking us, what life do you want? Which life do you want? It's asking you, which life are you living right now? Are you rooted? Are you windblown? I would encourage you to go home and pursue change, to think through how to create margin and space and rhythm night and day and night and day and you know, for me, those rhythms go beyond. It's personal worship. It's your personal time. But for me, it's rhythms of church. There's a, there's a cumulative effect, my friends. 20 years of Sunday school will change your life if you're paying attention. But it's that week after week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, you know, sitting under the preaching of the word, being in small groups. I've been in small groups for almost 40 years either studying the Word directly or, or reading and studying books that seek to explain and apply the Word of God. And I've been doing it my whole Christian life. I just encourage you, these are the rhythms that will plant you in the right place to be transformed. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have not left us to our own power and grace but you have offered yourself to us. You, you give yourself to us as a life-giving stream. And you call us to drink. Father, help us to create the kind of space in our lives where we have time to drink. To drink deeply of your life-giving word and presence. To have time to know you. and Time to be in awe of you. Time to worship you time to behold your beauty and to find ourselves on our knees, time to pray and to repent of those things that are so important. God, have mercy. Help us to stop living so fast and to repent. 
that we might find ourselves planted firmly and deeply in the stream of your life, that we may bear much fruit, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.